Oh, so good. So good. All right, if we get going, I'll have you out of here in two hours tops, okay? Yeah. I have enough time to read the whole book of Leviticus, so uh, we're going <laughs> to just go. There you go. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, hi. It's funny, preparing for, uh, preparing for this word uh, more... You get more in tune. You get more in tune with things as you're digging into the Word of God, which is the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> you know, because the Word of God is it's refining. <laughs> it's refining in our lives, and uh, it's a good place to. It's it's the place to start. Um, but as I've had conversations with people recently, you know, catch up with people I haven't seen in a while, or uh, catch up with people that you know I, I do see regularly, and it's it always starts out with you know, hey, how's it going? You know, you all start your conversations. Oh, hey, how are you? You know, and, and usually it's funny how, how much I've picked up on people say, oh, you know, I've been busy. Been bu-, you know, it's like, it's like it is like the go-to. If you ever want to ask how someone's doing, because not even like how they're doing, that's what they're doing. Or, you know, it's like, it's this like kind of vague, you know, hey, like, you know, like, so what do you about to? Ah, oh, you know, I've just been bu- busy with things. Been busy. Um... I'm like, man, everyone's busy. <laughs> Everyone is busy. You know, you can be, you know, it's funny. It, like, well, and, and usually what that translates to is people are busy with, you know, whether if, you, you know, your family, it's your kids, it's, you know, busing them to and from events, it's, uh, it's school, it's, it's work, it's, and maybe it is hanging out with people, maybe it's projects around the, the never-ending projects around the house, uh, you know, or just you could be busy just sitting on your butt. You know, it's like, but it's like either way you're busy. Either way you're busy. And uh, in our, in our culture, I know people tend to be, uh, you know, there is a kind of a common theme where people tend to be overworked, <laughs> underrested. You know, some some by choice, some not. <laughs> um, you know, how many of us truly uh, go to bed and you know hit hit the pillow in an, in an ideal manner? <laughs> you know, I'm like, no, I'm I'm like easing into bed. I'm I'm just ready to relax. You know, usually it's like. I, you know, I stayed up too late or, you know, I'm just like not, you know, not, not, you know, healthy practices. Like we, we just don't know how to kind of settle down. And, you know, there's this physical, obviously the physical idea of, of rest is something we can all, we, we can all appreciate, you know, like whether it's, you know, taking a nap here or there or, you know, like getting enough sleep or, you know, if we say, oh, I'm just so tired, I feel exhausted, you know, like, you, like the idea of getting the rest you need is like welcome. It's like a welcome thing in the physical, the getting that rest that you need. Like, you know, you truly need the, the way God has designed the human body. You, you need to recoup. You need to relax. You need to have a time where you're just like, okay, like for one third of my day, <laughs> if you can, <laughs> you know, if, if you can, um, I don't I don't even know if eight hours is still the ideal, but you know, it's like. The, getting that much sleep, you know, that's a good majority of your day, you know, to get that, that kind of sleep. And, um, but as we know in, in the Bible, there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of connections between the physical to the spiritual. 
You know, it always says first, first the physical, then the spiritual. It's, there's, always a, there's always a tie-in. There's always a way we can, God allows us to understand how the spiritual dy- dynamic works based on a physical reality. And, uh, and so I want to talk about rest today. I want to talk about the idea of rest, um, something that's been on my heart, something the Lord's been working in me uh, recently, and, um, you know, the promise of rest. So I want to turn to uh, Genesis chapter 2. And as with any good Bible reading, understanding, uh, you always go with the principle of first reference. You always go with, you know, how did the Bible say this in the first place? Because it's going to define how that, that term, how that phrase is used the rest of the way, that principle of first reference. And so the first, the first reference of rest is in Genesis chapter 2, and it begins in verse 1 this way. It's in the creation, the creation account. It says this, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So what is rest? The Hebrew word for rest is sabbat. That's where we get the word Sabbath from, which means to rest or to stop or cease from working. You just complete stop. Now, it's interesting, as, I, as I've read this and I've heard before, uh, you know, so God rests. God rested. And, and so that brings up the, the natural question. If you're, you're reading this for the first time, you're like, does God get tired? You know, does God get tired? And the answer is no. I mean, the scriptures say he, he never slumbers nor sleeps. <laughs> so why did he rest? What does it mean that God rested on the seventh day at creation? Well, simply that he stopped what he was doing. He, he just stopped because he can. He ceased from his labors. The, and I know it's like, oh, well, okay, thanks, Eric. That's Captain Obvious, you know. Um, but this is actually, it's important that it be so bluntly obvious uh, to our understanding of the establishment of the Sabbath day, that, that rest day, and the role of Christ as our Sabbath rest, which we're going to get into. So, so God used the example of his resting on the, on the seventh day of creation to establish this principle of Sabbath day rest for his people. Um, in Exodus 20, where we have the, the account of the, the Ten Commandments being given to Moses, and to the, the Israelites, uh, God gave the Israelites the fourth of his Ten Commandments. They were to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Uh, one day out of every seven, they were to rest from their labors and give the same day of rest to their servants and their animals. So it was a full rest. But this was not just a, a physical rest like, hey, I'm just going to sleep or like lay in my bed all day. Um, it was just, uh, it was, it was, we're not going to work. We're not going to labor. And so whatever work they had been engaged in up to that point, they would stop for a full day each week. Imagine if we did that now. How, like, would that be like life transforming if we actually had a, a culture that did that? And they still do that over in Israel. When the last time I went over to Israel, oh, it was amazing. Like, I mean, it, it, you, you make sure you get your shopping done the day before. Because <laughs> then it's like, if you forgot something, it's like, too bad. All the stores are, they're like, it's ghost town. You drive through some of the places, and literally, it's a ghost town. No one, nothing. No, no activity. It's like, wow, they really, that, this is like a legit Sabbath here. 
So this, uh, so what the Sabbath day was established, so the people would rest from their labors, and uh, and they would begin again after that day of rest. So they were to observe the Sabbath. They were to keep it holy, and the, by keeping it holy, it was a day that was dedicated to the Lord. It was a day holy, set apart. It was it was a day that was set apart for God. It was dedicated to Him. You know, we think of we dedicate things. We dedicate, you know, you know, whether services or babies or you know all these kind of things. You know, but it was a day that was constantly dedicated. It was they gave honor to God. They gave Him the reverence that, like this day of rest, it actually belongs to the Lord. So it wasn't just about that ceasing from works, but there was an honor that was given to God as part of this day. And so the various elements of the Sabbath this rest, they actually symbolize the coming of the Messiah who would provide a permanent rest for his people. Once again, the example of resting from our labor comes into play with the establishment of the Old Testament law. Uh, The Jews were constantly in, in that mode. They were laboring to make themselves acceptable to God. In that it was about their works. Their working was what made them acceptable to God in, in following the law line by line. And of course, they couldn't possibly keep uh, all those laws. So God, God provided array of, an array of sin offerings, um, sacrifices so that they could come to God for forgiveness and, and restore fellowship to him. But even that was only temporary. It was like, we had to keep, this is the cycle. We have to keep doing this. We have to keep doing this over and over again. And just as they began the, uh, their physical labors after a one-day rest, so too did they have to continue all these sacrifices. So it's continuous. So it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work just to maintain acceptability. Imagine, like, wow. Hebrews 10, actually, Hebrews 10 tells us that the law can never, by the same sacrifices repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. But these sacrifices were offered um, in anticipation, uh, in anticipation of the ultimate sacrifice of Christ on the cross, who, in Hebrews 10, who, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right, at the right hand of God. So just as he rested after performing the ultimate sacrifice, he sat down and rested. When he ascended, he, he rested. He rested from the finished work. And so because of what he did, you know, that's where we come into grace. We no longer have to labor in law-keeping in order to keep justified in the sight of God. Jesus was sent so that we can rest in God and in what he has provided. Um, Another element of the Sabbath day rest, uh, which God instituted as a foreshadowing of the complete rest of Christ, um, is that he blessed it. He blessed it, he sanctified it, and he made it holy. So again, the, it's this set apart. It's, it's set apart. And here we see the symbol of Christ, Christ as our Sabbath rest. He is the holy, perfect son who sanctifies and makes holy all who believe in him. God sanctified Christ just as he sanctified the Sabbath rest, the Sabbath day, and sent him in the world. That's John 10, to be a sacrifice for sin. So in him we find complete rest. In Jesus, we find complete rest from our labors of our self-effort because he alone is holy and righteous. So this is where we start to see that transition. Like 2 Corinthians, many of you know the, the scripture of, you know, God made him who knew no sin, you know, had no sin, to be sin for us 
that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he's doing it. He's the one who's doing the work for us so we can now cease from our spiritual labors and rest in him and not just one day a week. It's all, always. He is always our rest. And so Jesus can be our Sabbath rest in part because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He says that in Matthew 12 when they, when they started to question Jesus, you know, helping someone out on the Sabbath. You know, they were worried about, like, oh, working on, working on the set. Jesus is doing something on the rest day. What's Jesus doing? Breaking rules, that rule breaker. So as God incarnate, he decides the true meaning of the Sabbath because he created it. He is our Sabbath rest in the flesh. The, the Pharisees, they criticized him. They criticized Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, right? Remember the man with the withered hand? Jesus reminded them that even they, sinful as they were, would not hesitate to pull a sheep out of a pit on the Sabbath. So he's kind of, he's pointing right back at him, like, don't you, don't you pull that on me. I, you know, I'll put it right back on you. And because he came to seek and save, this is what I love, because Jesus came to seek and save his sheep who would hear his voice. Sorry, make two plus two and enter into the Sabbath rest he provided by paying for their sins as he was the Lord of the Sabbath. He told the Pharisees that uh, people are more important than sheep. And, and the salvation he provided was ultimately more important than their rules of how they were interpreting the Sabbath. Um, by saying uh, the Sabbath was made for man, you know, not man for the Sabbath. Like, don't twist this. <laughs> This was actually a gift for you. Don't turn it into something that makes you right with God again. This was made for you. So Jesus was restating the principle of this rest that they were supposed to receive was instituted to relieve them of their labors just as he came to relieve us of our attempting to achieve salvation by our works. We no longer rest only for a day, but forever we cease from laboring to attain God's favor. How awesome is that? There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you're like, oh, did I, did I do the right thing today so God will accept me? Like, don't even have to bring that up. If you believe, if you've put your faith and trust in the, in the sacrifice of Jesus, you can rest in that. You don't have to worry about like, oh, did I do the right thing? Like, you know, did I come? Uh, did, how did I, I've heard people say like, oh, yeah, like I prepared myself for worship today. I'm like, well, other than just like resting in the fact that Jesus paid the price for you? I don't know how, I mean, I, you, could, you could probably get your mind right, maybe just like your focus on the Lord, but it's not like there's anything you could do to be more acceptable in God's sight than you already are. That's good news. That is very good news. So Jesus is our, he is, he is our rest, he is the Lord of the rest. But the rest isn't a day foreshadowing to Jesus, the rest is a person. I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. I think I, sweet. I love technology when it works. So let me read this and we'll talk, talk about it. So <clears throat> Hebrews 4 beginning in verse 1 says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, 
because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. How do you love that? Let, let us strive to enter rest. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So, I mean, yeah, just keep reading, but the, you know, so out of all that passage, Hebrews 4 is the, is the definitive passage, I'd say, in the New Testament regarding Jesus as our Sabbath rest. The writer of Hebrews is exhorting the reader to enter into the Sabbath rest provided by Christ. So after three chapters, so like before, before all this is coming to a head where he's making a highlight of this rest, in the three chapters previous in Hebrews, it's talking about Jesus is superior to angels, uh, that he is our apostle, Jesus is our high priest. He pleads with them not to harden their hearts against him as their fathers hardened their hearts against the Lord in the wilderness. So what they're referring to is in Exodus, where the Israelites had been released from bondage, they had been freed from slavery, and they were, they were getting upset with God about the circumstances they were going through as they were going through the wilderness on the way to the promise, the promised land. So it was in their unbelief, so this is going to be key, it was in their unbelief, God denied that generation access to the Holy Land, saying, they shall not enter my rest. That's what it's referring to there. In the same way, the writer of Hebrews it, begging the readers basically not to make the same mistake. Don't make the same mistake that these guys did. Like, we already know what happened. Like, the story has been written. Like, we can tell you how this story, like, you already know the end of the story. But he says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own works. And then goes and says, no one, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. So, so what does this unbelief and disobedience look like? How did, how did the Israelites get to a place of like, hey, God had this rest for them, and like now like they're not going to get it. They're not going to receive that rest, that promise. What, what, what's up with that? Like, so chapter 3, going back, and if I had an unlimited amount of time, I'd go into this, so condensing it as best as possible. But chapter 3 ended with the warning that it was unbelief that kept the people of Israel from entering into the promised land. In chapter 3, verse 19, it says, And so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. So unbelief was the reason they didn't enter. It wasn't God was like, man, God just got angry and said like, nope, can't do it. 
it wasn't anything God did. It wasn't like God was the one who was like, ah, you know what, today, no, you don't enter. It says it was because of their unbelief. And what I think, we, we must care enough about each other that every day, and this, this is kind of pastorally speaking, that we get in each other's lives and exhort each other not to let distrust in God creep in and destroy our lives. There's, there's many times in our lives where we just, we, we lose faith, we're, we're just struggling to believe that God's going to do this, he's going to come through, like, man, this, this situation is so insurmountable, man, this mountain, like, it's not moving. I know Jesus said it could move, but it's not moving. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why that mountain's not moving. But I'm, I'm having a hard time believing. I'm having a hard time putting my full trust in God that, that this, we're going to see this breakthrough. We're going to see uh, God move on our behalf. And, and even earlier in that chapter in Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 13, it says, Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is called today. So one conclusion to draw from the warning in verse 19 is that unbelief is such a constant and dangerous temptation. We must actually help each other to fight it off. It's a community effort. It's a community effort. Anyone who's suffered with addiction, anyone who's suffered from, you know, different trials, and they, they, you know it's not anything you can do alone. You know, as much our salvation, that's, 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 that's me and Jesus. But as far as working it out and staying encouraged and persevering and, and pu- pushing through, it's like he's the one who instituted community. God's the one who instituted the church. That's why he said, when you pray, say, our Father. He didn't say, my Father who is in heaven. Community. It's, it's, we're, we're doing this together. We're coming alongside together. If it was something that you would just do on your own, he would have said, pray this way, my Father who is in heaven. But he didn't, and he did it for a reason. Uh, I'm convinced that persevering in faith to the end is, is this community endeavor. And if we believe what the scriptures tell us, then we would be vigilant to be an encouragement to each other daily. You know, so do you know someone in your life or even yourself, you need encouragement? How, are you coming together? Are you seeing the person in need? Not, not, not saying you're going to meet the need, but just encouraging. Tell them, hey, like, you got this. You got this. You're going to come through. You're going to pull through. Everyone needs that to a certain degree. So he continues to compare Israel's situation in the wilderness to the situation of believers in his day. That's why he's, that's why he's talking about it in Hebrews. That's why he's addressing it, because it's still, it's still a thing. <laughs> it, you know, it's the, the trusting in God still needs to be put out there. And, they, and, it, and in that scripture we read, they had good news preached to them. Isn't that awesome? He's like, they had good news preached to them, and, and we, have, we have had good news preached to us. So what was the good news that was preached to them? Well, among many, many things, it was God's word to Israel from Mount Sinai, continuing in Exodus uh, 34, 6 or 7. It says, Then the Lord proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. You know, people look at the Old Testament like, man, God was really angry, lots of wrath. It's like, whoa, no, like God is rich in mercy. That's his desire all along. That he is slow to anger. He's rich in love, his loving kindness. It, it, it just goes as far as the eye can see. And, 
It was, his, it was the good news of love and mercy and forgiveness of every kind of iniquity, transgression, and sin. It was the good news of God's promise that God would bring them into a land of milk and honey, which I still, like, the picture is still, I'm thinking milk and honey, and I'm like, whoa. I'm thinking like grocery aisles of like milk and honey, you know. But this land of abundance, this land of affluence, this land of more than enough. And he'd be with them and they could trust in him and they wouldn't rebel against him. And so this writer says that the Israelites had heard the gospel just like his readers had. Not the foundation of it in the death and resurrection of Christ as we know it, but still the promise that God is merciful, that he forgives sins, he promises rest and joy for those who trust him. So there is a very similar situation between Israel and the readers of the letter. And the point is this, the good news was not believed by Israel, and so they did not enter the rest. That's, that's the Reader's Digest, that's the highlight. God's promised joy. You know, verse 2, the, the word they heard, the, for, the good news of forgiveness promised joy, did not profit them because it was not united by faith in what they heard. So in other words, they didn't believe it. They heard good news, did not believe they doubted God. They distrusted him. They did not have faith in his promise of a better future than what they had had in Egypt, and so they gave up on God in the middle of it. They fell in the wilderness. God swore in his wrath they would not enter his rest. A picture of missing heaven. The, pro- the promise of God's presence. Um, <clears throat> So that's the main point of this paragraph. He, say, he says, fear unbelief. Fear that. And not in a fear, condemning fear. It's like, be on guard. Be on guard. In this last sentence of the paragraph, he says uh, the same thing in different words. Verse 11, uh, let us therefore be diligent. Strive to enter that rest, lest anyone uh, fall Uh, you know, following the same example of disobedience. So in other words, Israel fell from the promised joy of God because of the disobedience of unbelief. So unbelief tied to that rest. And we'll tie this in. And the same thing can happen to any professing Christian, honestly. And to keep it from happening and to show that we are more than professing Christians, you know, it's one thing to check off a box, right? You know, true, false, true, I'm a Christian, check, like true, you know. You know, anyone can do true faults all day. It's when the rubber meets the road and your faith is actually, like, you're, you're in an encounter where you're at a crossroads and you need to make a decision. We need to be diligent. We need to strive to enter that rest. So we need to pay close attention to what you've heard. Don't neglect salvation. Consider Jesus. Don't harden your hearts. Take care against an unbelieving heart. Exhort one another day after day against the deceitfulness of sin and fear unbelief that you will that, that would keep you from the promised rest. So there's a great lesson in this. It's the the Christian life is a day by day, hour by hour trust in the promises of God type of day type of life, to help us and guide us and take care of us. He forgives us and brings us into a future of holiness and joy that will satisfy our hearts infinitely more than if we forsake him and put our trust in other things. Day by day, hour by hour, trusting in God's promises are not automatic. 
it's the result of daily diligence and it's result of proper fear. And that's why I respect, um, I mean, this is why I respect anyone who's recovering from, from addiction, who's been in deep addiction, who has come out of that because they realize the gratefulness of what it means to come out of that because it's work. It's work. It's work. And just like sin, you know, sin is just like addiction. They're all tied in. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's work coming out of that and trusting in God's promises that like, man, if I, if I just, if I keep the arrow pointing this way towards Jesus, like he's going to make a way. And even though like I can't see it right in front of me, like I know that his will is good for me, his plans, they are for me. And we enter in a place where we're like, okay, as I chip away, as I step into what God is doing, I can continue to say, okay, you're with me. And not, sometimes we'll say like, oh, I know God is with me, but sometimes we feel God isn't working. <laughs> we'll do the religious thing. Well, well, God's with us, Emmanuel. You know, Jesus, God with us. You know, it's like, but then they're like, oh, man, God, did you forsake me out here? You know, like, it's like, well, it doesn't sound like God's with you or you don't believe that he is if you're freaking out. Right? We're, we're struggling to believe that God is not only with us, but that he's working. He's busy. He's busy. We're resting. It's funny, reading, uh, I was, well, yeah, I think, Exodus. Exodus is like one of my favorite Old Testament books. I, you know, some people are, you know, oh, Old Testament, it's a lot to understand. You have to know a lot more. It's like, there's, there's some amazing, you know, there's, the whole Bible is awesome. The word of God, the counsel of God, it's amazing. In Exodus 17, it says, did I, did I, have, oh, I did, cool, sweet. So you can read along. So, you know, they're the, the Israelites, they've been freed from Egypt. They did something and, you know, like waters parted along a river and they walked through it. They needed food and bread started falling from the sky. You know, just the things you see every day. You just had it happen last Wednesday, you know. So we get to this point. It says all in verse seven, uh, chapter seventeen, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarrelled with Moses and said, "Give us water to drink." And Moses said to them, "Why do you quarrel with me? Why, why do you test the Lord?" Moses is like, "I'm not taking responsibility for this, right? You, you like that?" Because they're like going to Moses and he's like, hey, you have to take it up. You have to take it up with him. But the people thirst there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did, you, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? I don't want to insinuate he said it a certain way, but it's kind of like, you know, if you want to, what should I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come from it. And the people will drink. 
And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord not among us? Yikes. Not a good name for a place, huh? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt just to kill us? Moments before, we're reading about walking through parted waters of a big river. Bread falling from the sky. You would think if you experienced that, you would be like, would, and just like, put yourself in that place. Like, if you walked through a river that there was no water, and bread started falling from the sky, do you feel like your life would be changed, Maybe. Do you feel like your worldview, maybe you couldn't see things the same ever again? Seeing the miraculous right in front of you. And even in the midst of this, I mean, and I think of this, how many of us have had God work some miraculous things in our lives? Where he's come through for us. And we're always prisoner of the moment. We are prisoner of the moment. You know, what have you done for me lately, right? Prisoner of the moment. You know, I know you parted waters, Lord. I know, I know you know, bread started falling from the sky, but I just, I just don't know. I just, I'm just having a hard time believing. See, what we need to do, we need to recall what God has done before. See, sometimes we need to learn from a previous generation that maybe whether they did it right or didn't do it right, <laughs> but we need to learn. We get those warnings. That's why the Bible, it gives us, the Bible gives us the warnings of, hey, here, here's what happens if, <laughs> here's what happens when, so don't be surprised if. You know, but we need to learn from previous generations to steward faith in our own lives, to be, to be grateful for what God has done. Truly living in God's rest, God's rest in Jesus, in his presence, is knowing that rest is a gift of inheritance. See, inheritance is receiving something you didn't pay for. Now think of that. Maybe Jesus pays the price for us. We receive the gift. We need to steward that, that gratitude, that faithfulness of God. You know, that what he has done for us is good enough. You know, sometimes we go through life and we, we forget the cross. We lose sight of what price Jesus actually paid because we didn't pay it and we, don't, we never have to. Amen. That, that's a hallelujah. See, those who make up the current generation often forget the sacrifice it takes a previous generation when something is handed down. You know, when something is given to us, and this, you know, God's presence, God's rest, you know, we tend not to value it because we didn't have to work for it. You know, and consequently, we don't, because of that, we don't actually know what to do to sustain it. You know, I mean, that's why, like, even with the military and those who've gone before us and fought for freedom, you know, it's like, it's tough, like, there's, there's, um, I won't say it. Okay. So I'll go down another road. But an attitude of thanksgiving is the only effective weapon against entitlement and pride. 
Yet thanksgiving in itself must be inspired proactively and by remembering and recounting the perseverance and sacrifice of others. It's, it's in the moment we lose sight of the historic works of forefathers, mothers, those who went before us, we slide into privileged thinking and inheritance becomes entitlement. So this, I mean, this may be, may be a tough word, so I, I will go there. Um, one of the worst side effects of entitlement is the instant gratification culture it inspires. And when you're working through stuff, you know it's not instant gratification. <laughs> the sense that we should get what we want when we want it, regardless of the circumstances. Right? The mentality, this mentality is expressed in many ways in our society. Like, you know, credit cards, 30-year mortgages, you know. There are a few of these expressions. Now, I'm not saying these things in and of themselves are evil. It's just like when people say, oh, money is evil. It's like, no, the love of money. It's not money itself. A piece of paper isn't evil. I'm simply pointing out that they are expressions of a culture, of a, of a of a wider epidemic that wants things now regardless of whether you can afford it or not. And think about it this way. Credit, card, credit cards have only been around for like 50 years. Right? So weird. Like our, our great-grandparents, like, or, you know, I mean, you know, folks who lived in a time when there were no credit cards, <laughs> you know, they, they knew what it was like where you had to have money to buy things. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> odd, odd times we're living in, you know. Ridiculous, right? So the challenge that arises as a result of this uh, removal of motivation to persevere uh, is the re removal of motivation to per persevere through tough times. That's what happens. And so it's amazing when, I, I, I love this, it's, it's amazing when God, and we, we, we believe this, we believe God does it. It's amazing when God moves suddenly on our behalf, right? We're like, oh, God just broke in, like, oh, the thing, like the, the miracle, you know, but it's no mistake, um, the scriptures call us to persevere in, uh, in many aspects of life. It's that perseverance, it's, I'm tying this in, striving to enter the rest, it's not works-based, but it's persevering. It's realizing it's not just going to happen, you know, like, oh, God, like, rest. Okay, I'm here. I'm, I'm ready to receive your rest. You know, life is going to happen. The, the truth is God often takes a long time to act suddenly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. God often takes a long time to act suddenly. As a matter of fact, many miracles we may witness happen as a result of persevering faith of years, even decades of our lives. That reminds me of the, uh, the story of the widow in Luke 18. I'm going to read that, actually. The, uh, this, is, this is amazing. Luke 18, verse 1, it says, and he, that being Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Wow. 
And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. (laughs) And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So here we are, Jesus coming back to faith, belief, challenging unbelief. We're we're continuing to tie this in. God's promise of rest. God always promises rest. It is a promise. It's not a, well, maybe. It's a trust God and you will enter that rest. Exodus 33. Exodus 33, verse 12 through 14, it says, Moses said to the Lord, see you say to me, bring up this people. They're still in the wilderness. (laughs) But you have not let me know whom you will send with me, yet you have said, I know you by name, and and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he, being God, (laughs) said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. There is no other Sabbath rest besides the Lord himself. He is the rest. In his presence is rest. He alone satisfies that requirement of the law. He alone provides atonement for sin. He is God's plan. Jesus is God's plan for us to cease from laboring from our own works. He is that rest. He is the Father revealed to creation. Jesus is God in the flesh. In his very presence, we find rest. And so we need to remember the cross. We need to be grateful for the things that have been done before us. That we realize, oh, someone paid a price. Someone worked for us so that we didn't have to. Man, gratefulness in our culture is like, you know, like maintaining that posture of thanksgiving and gratitude. Wow, that is, that's striving. (laughs) That's striving. To maintain that posture. We need to recount the resurrection daily. That's why I said happy Easter. Happy Easter. It's the only way we will maintain a posture of gratitude where we realize we rest from our works and we rest in God's saving work. And we realize that what he has done is what makes us righteous in his eyes. Um, you know, that was the Old Testament. And it, it, just so you know, that wasn't an Old Testament promise only of, you know, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. he said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, have you taken your burdens to him? Have you found that you can trust him in the midst of the storm? You know, just like Mike, Mike T. talked about a few weeks ago. The, you know, like when you're in the midst of the storm, are you keeping your eyes on Jesus? Or are, you, are you so impressed with the storm? You know, are you impressed by the storm? Or are you more impressed with the power of God? 
It's that belief. It's that trust. It's that putting your faith. Your, your, when you come to Jesus, you know, some people, they're like, okay, uh, you know, Jesus is my, I've heard this said before, you know, Jesus is my Savior, but Jesus is my Lord. You know, I can trust him to save me from my sin, but then like, oh, you mean he's like the boss? He calls the shots. He actually knows what's good for me. He knows what's best. And that's where we as Christians, we don't just check off the true false box and we, we put all the chips in and we, we're saying, God, with you, I am all in. All in. All the chips on the table. That's that faith expressed. It's saying, I'm not looking to other options. Even though I have other options and other things, I could, I could lean on this credit card. I could lean on this person. I could lean on whatever. Am I truly going to put my faith and my trust in God at the end of the day with my relationships, with my finances, with my boss, with my kids, with my very own life? It's only in faith and trust in him daily to, to move us forward that we will truly enter the rest that he promises, but we strive. We persevere. We, we do what we need to to say, okay, God, I realize what you've done for me, and I'm going to maintain a posture of thankfulness and gratitude because I know that in you, you have finished this work. You already have all the answers for this thing ahead of me. You already have, have prepared this thing. You're just like David and the armies of Israel, God, you, you go before me. You, you already go before me and take care of the battle ahead. How many of you are trusting your battle with the Lord today? You're entrusting the battle to him. Let's, uh, let's stand. And, uh, and I just want to pray, I mean, you know, you know, for those in this place, I know that there are people in this place who are, who are being touched by the Holy Spirit that just know, man, this battle I've had. It, it, it's been my battle I've been holding on my shoulders. This is a battle I have been taking on myself. I've been letting it rest on my shoulders for far too long. And I sense the Lord is saying that the battle is his. The work, it is done. It is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope. I loved singing that song with you guys earlier because it is about Jesus and it's about what he has done. He has set us free. He has, his salvation is in his name. And so if you're in a place today where you've struggled, that, that unbelief has got in, that the temptation to do the wrong thing, the temptation to cut a corner because you're worried that God may or may not come through. I want to pray for you today. Holy Spirit, I welcome you in this place, Lord, and I, and I acknowledge your very presence that's already in this place. Oh God, how we need you. Lord, in this place, I declare that the battle is yours that you have already won, that Jesus, yours is the victory. And today we rest. We strive to enter that rest that you promised, Lord, where we, where we trust in your goodness. We trust in your faithfulness. We, we walk through parted waters. You split the sea and bread falls from the sky. And, and we don't doubt if you're going to provide the next time. 
I pray for those who feel prisoner to the moment today. I just pray release right now in the name of Jesus. For those having trouble recalling the miracles of God, for those forgetting about things that God has done, God has done great things. And he will continue to do that because what he has done once, he will do again. He testifies to this. And so, Father, I bless you. I bless what you're doing in each person here. And for those who feel prisoner to that that, uh, thought life, Lord, I just pray a release of the mind of Christ that you have given us. And I pray, Lord, that we would think your thoughts, that we wouldn't have a thought in our head that isn't in yours. And I pray that we would see things the way you see them, Lord, that from your vision, your perspective, we would see them because we are seated with you in heavenly places and that we can actually see things from a heavenly perspective because that is our life. That is our posture in you for those who are righteous in Christ. And I pray right now, Father, that those who are struggling with persevering, needing that instant gratification, Lord, I pray for, um, I just pray for breakthrough in that area. For each person who's struggling, who is trying to do the right thing and knows it's the right thing to do, Lord, I just pray a release of uh, humility and, and honor in their lives. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you have your way? Lord, for we want to enter that rest. We don't want to be the people who don't enter the rest who don't enter that presence of joy that you promised to us. And so I bless you today. I bless what you're doing, and I thank you for the work that you've already begun in this place and for the hearts that you're stirring up. I bless that, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He is good. If anything, if anything resonates with you in that and you want further prayer, I'd just like you to come up. For those who have been in Sockham, you want to come up and pray as well to kind of help out if people want some ministry time. Um, we'll be up here. And other than that, have an awesome day, you guys. Be blessed. And uh, just remember, God is working on your behalf always. Amen.